welcome to the Stanley Street Social Podcast presented by MAP. My name is Alice Clements and we're back for season four. And again, we've got MAP as our partner. They've been our major partner from the get-go, our first ever sponsor. And if you do need any premium cycling apparel, make sure you head to map.cc to check out their full range. Today, we're kicking season four off with an interview with Chris Harper. We recorded this last week at Tour Down Under. We chat about his entry into the World Tour, how he found turning pro during a COVID year, a little bit about the onboarding process of Jumbo Visna and the highly technical nature of the squad as he uh, entered the World Tour ranks. We touch on a little bit about his early days in that transition period turning professional and then wrap things up with the Giro d'Italia. Unfortunately, it was cut a bit short for Chris, but he got a week with um, one of the hot favourites for the race. We are launching this podcast on the 1st of February and on the 7th of February, Sunday the 7th, Campbell and myself will be going live for the Australian National Championships. We will be kicking things off on the YouTube channel, Facebook and Twitter uh, live around midday as the race kicks off and we'll be doing a preview of what the race is to come a semi-live call as we talk about what's going on during the race and then a little bit of review of what's happened in the time trial and criterium so far we'll also have some special guests along for the way so they'll be joining us and we hope that as many people as possible can join the join the uh, live stream as we'll be able to get your questions your comments your thoughts on the race as well to um, hopefully join the conversation so if you do want to check that out make sure you uh, sign up on our YouTube channel, Facebook and Twitter and uh, you'll be able to set, especially on the Facebook and YouTube, a live notification as to when that is. And apart from that, I hope you enjoy season four. It's We're looking forward to another a fun season and uh, we can't wait to talk to many, many more athletes this year. Hey, mate. Hey, how's it going? Good, and you? Oh, is that loud? No, no, that's good. No, that's good. That's good. First of all, congrats on getting through COVID year. Yeah, thank you. In like the the guts of COVID. Yeah. You're in the middle of it. Yeah, yeah. I uh, dodged it pretty good. And it was in Neo Pro year. Yeah, yeah. I uh, made it through all good. Roomed with uh, a fella who tested positive for seven or eight days. And uh, Who were you rooming with? Stevie. <laughs> oh, the big dog. Yeah, yeah. I was rooming with him on the Giro and... Uh, but Cro- I mean... Stevie uh, Kreisvike, for yeah. those that don't know. Yeah, but then... Uh, Actually, just to be a bit safer, just before, maybe a couple of days before he tested positive, we s- decided to do what they were doing at the tour and put everyone in separate rooms. Yeah. Um, but yeah, he'd been in a separate room for I think one or two nights and then that's when he he uh, tested positive for it and then after that I was sort of like, oh, good chance I've been in a room with him for seven or eight days, I probably have it. <laughs> and? Didn't have it. Never got it? <laughs> nah, never got it. Got You're tested... Three or four times after it, like within a week and uh, nothing. Yeah, wow. Yeah, so. What, yeah. what, what, did, did he send you a text? Like, what did the team tell you? Nah, so in the morning I saw the DS walking around and at like six in the morning I was like, ah, oh, drug testers are here and someone's got doping control. And then, uh, yeah, he knocks on my door and he's like, ah. Oh, just to let you know, like, we've had a positive result and we've all got to be retested. So, they've got these quick 15-minute tests that they can do. And, 
yeah, you get the results straight away, but they're not as accurate. But then they say if you test positive on the big test and the quick test, then you've definitely got it. Yeah. Whereas if you test positive on the quick test, then they'll do the long test yeah. just to make sure. So, yeah, Stevie tested positive on both. So, like, yep, he's definitely got it. And then the rest of us tested negative on the quick test. So, technically, we could have started the next day. Yeah. Well, that morning, we could we were meant to do a stage. Um, but, yeah, that's when the team decided that it wasn't really uh, worth the risk. Mm. Was it a bit hard watching it? It was just weird because we rocked up to the start and we sort of got ready with the idea that we'd still race, but... Because there'd been other teams that had positive results as well. We were sort of thought it's not worth racing today until we know the full situation. So, um, yeah, we were just asking whether it's possible to postpone the stage until we know a bit more or even to not do that stage and then continue after. But the organisers didn't want to do that at all. So, yeah, in the end, uh, the managers of our dis- our team just decided it wasn't wasn't worth the risk. Mm. And, um, yeah, we just never left the bus. <laughs> just went on home. <laughs> yeah. See you later. waited for the race to go and then, uh, then yeah, left. Yeah. Do you, but you felt comfortable, like, especially within Jumbo, you kind of, if you look from the outside, Jumbo quite on the end of professionalism. They're, they're way down there on yeah. the scale of professionalism. Yeah. Yeah. I think, yeah, obviously there was a lot that went into that decision. It wasn't just like a quick decision at all like it was people on the phone and discussing what it sort of meant if we continued racing and if we had other riders test positive if we did continue racing and how that would look and yeah just even for the health and safety of us riders but also the staff in our team you got to remember as well like yeah everyone thinks of the riders testing positive but you know you also don't want to give this disease that's killing people to your bus driver so um, us as a uh, us as a riding group, we had a conversation about it, and some guys were keen to keep racing. Some guys were really against starting, um, and yeah, some guys just weren't really happy with how things had been done at the Giro at all. Yeah, if you go back to when you uh, signed, yeah, do you have other teams that you could have gone to? Ah. Uh, yeah, uh, maybe. I Like, to be honest, I'm, I mean, Andrew McQuaid were m- manages me and I sort of said from the start, I said, oh, as soon as Yumbo make an offer, that's where I want to go. And that was just purely off of having a conversation with one of the DSs there. It just felt like the best fit for me. So as soon as Yumbo made an offer, that's that's where I went. What do you say in that conversation? <laughs> <laughs> no, it was just more more what they were planning to do and you know how they did things and all that. It just sounded like a good fit for me. Like I'm pretty, uh, I like structure and that sort of thing. And you could just tell there was yeah. a lot of structure within the team. And I thought, ah, you know, I probably uh, just from what he's saying, it feels like I'll get the best out of myself as an athlete if I go there compared to other teams. Yeah, yeah. I think, and that shows. Yeah, I think it's showed, especially the last couple of years. I think, yeah, you've sort of seen the rise of the rise of the team. When I signed, they were racing the tour and they that's when they sort of, it became really apparent, I think, especially at that team's time trial where they sort of just blew everyone's doors off and yeah. then they were sort of seen as up and coming and now, yeah, 
especially how the team's managed this year with with all all the COVID stuff and still being so successful. I think that's just because purely the yeah, just the structure and how things are done. Yeah. Yeah. Is there anything that you were like you didn't know about that you got there and you're like, Oh wow, hello. Oh, it is a shock. Like it's so so different just how just what people ask you and that sort of thing where, where you're in a small county team you're sort of always um, in a way like pushing to get things if that makes sense like at the start of a year you really want to get on your new bike and spend as much time before nationals whereas with uh with Yumba, i remember rocking up and it's they asked me to fly to uh the netherlands to fit my kit and I was like oh okay yeah we can go do that and then spent the afternoon with all these people like taking measurements of my body so I can have custom made kit so everyone's on custom kit yeah yeah everyone. there's no small medium large you just yeah, say I'm everyone, Chris Harper Give me everyone gets measured up and then they say oh what do you want like do you want long nicks short nicks we just make it however you want it yeah so that was different for me normally you're just like yeah I'm a small jersey <laughs> and send it through um and then also in that same thing they're like oh you need to come downstairs because you need to um pick which bed you'd want and i was like what and yeah just trying out different mattresses they're like oh if you do a grand tour we're going to take your bed to every stage and we're going to send you a bed so you can sleep on that at home and i was just i was like oh this is a bit different <laughs> yeah, <right. laughs> yeah this is different so yeah it was Ah, oh, it was cool. It was nice in a way. Is it the same with nutrition? Yeah, yeah. I think it. I mean, I don't. I, I'm probably not a good one to ask because I haven't been on other teams, so I don't really know what other teams do. But my general feeling is on that side with how we do nutrition and our chefs, and we've got an app called Food Coach, which is gives us all all of what we need to have on uh, on a day to day basis. I think. Yeah, by the sounds of things, I'd say we almost do it the best out of any team in the peloton. Because mm. that comes, so am I right in saying the app comes from the supermarket? Yep, yep. So the supermarket helped which develop is, which it. Which is Jumbo, the yep, sponsor. which is Jumbo. Um, so yeah, they helped develop it. And then now it's just like, yeah. So for example, on a training camp, we can go and look in the morning and it will tell us what we're having for breakfast. And then we click on it and it tells us how many how many grams of each thing that we need for breakfast. So if we're having rice porridge in the morning, it'll tell you how many grams and we have our scales set up there. And then, um, yeah, weigh out all our food so we're um, getting enough in, obviously, for racing. Uh, and then after a stage, as soon as we finish, they get all our data from our, our garments and then um, recalculate whether we need more or less food at night. Mm. And then... Um, yeah, it's just done done really well. And I think that reflects, you know, when you're doing things that good, of course, riders are going to recover better and that sort of thing. And I think that translates to, you know, the performances the team's been having. Yeah. That must be nice. Like, so oh, you yeah. rock up, you, you finish the stage, you rock up the next, to the next, or that evening and for the next stage and they tell you how much you need to eat. Yep, yep. You don't have to think about anything. So it's not like rocking up to a buffet and be like, oh, I'll have a couple scoops of rice. It's literally go up, put your plate on the scale and just weigh out what, what's in there. I mean, of course, if you're hungry and you want to take more, they're like, yeah, take a bit yeah. extra. But 
you sort of know like that's what I need. That's what's going to fuel me. So uh, it's like, it's just easy. You don't have to think about it anymore. I, I don't know what your experience was like, but I always struggled with that. It was like, here's a buffet. Here's this massive stage I'm doing. Another massive stage tomorrow. I don't know how much I need to eat. And then you just end up eating shit tons of food. Yeah. And now you're like, uh, maybe I ate too much. I yeah. don't know. And you even hear it as well with uh, like seasoned pros who are like, oh, I put on weight through a grand tour. And you think like, oh, you know, I can see how it's easy to do because some days, you know, it can be a 200k stage, but still, you know, if there's two guys up the road and we cruise along at 150 watts, you probably don't actually, you know, really, I mean, other than being on the bike for a long time, probably not burning as much as you think. So yeah. if you uh, adopt the attitude, oh, I'm racing and I need a smash in food or I'm not going to perform or... Yeah, so I think it just... Yeah, and that's the, a big thing. The consequences of not eating enough are oh, so huge. big. Like, huge. like it's yeah. catastrophic if you don't eat enough. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's... Yeah, that's that's massive. Uh, I mean, you can ruin your whole race if you, if you underfuel, which so is probably more dangerous and that's probably why yeah. people put weight on. Yeah, because they're like, oh, if I underfuel, I'm going to go flat in the stage and I'm going to go terrible. Whereas, yeah, when you eat a lot, you obviously feel in your legs, you've got heaps of energy, that sort of thing. So, yeah, you feel better, but you, maybe that's <laughs> maybe it's not as good. You come out of the tour and you're like, oh, I put on two kilos. And that that was my thought. That was that was kind of the thought process. It was always like, well, I'm just going to eat that bit more because if you don't, yeah. It's all over. Whereas yeah. if <laughs> yeah. Like yeah. yeah, that's cool having that that variable ah, just yeah. dialed. Yeah, it's so good. It just uh yeah, I think there's no rider on the team that I don't think just really enjoys it. And the best thing as well is it's like it's not like we're rocking up and they're like, Oh, you need this amount of rice and then a little piece of protein or something. They're actually making like really nice meals and it's just yeah, you're yeah. not eating cardboard. Yeah, it's not it's not boring to eat. So it's uh, really nice food, and then taking away the stress of really like thinking what you need. It must be a nutritionist dream come true. Oh yeah, for sure. Like, yeah, I mean, we've got one guy that we I work with quite a lot in the team, and um, he's sort of the head guy who oversees everything. And then we've got what we call our food coach chefs who are, they also have like the back end of the program and all that. So they do all the recalculating. And then for him, it's more like, you know, the, those real fine details of, um, of performance sort of thing. So yeah, I mean, when you got heaps of people working on it, it's, it's pretty incredible really. Yeah. Cause that was always the challenge. You'd have like this nutritional advice, which is great. Yeah. But actually measuring it. Yeah. Was so hard. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so I think the team... What about um, coaching-wise? Yeah, I mean, coaching-wise is the same thing. It's just so so drilled, so professional. And yeah, I think it, it... Yeah, from what I can... I mean, again, I haven't been in another team, so I don't know what it's like. But yeah, I know within our team, it's a group of coaches who all share the same sort of training philosophies. Yeah. And together, they... I mean, we all have our individualised coaches. Um but, you know, they actually discuss it as a group still or talk about all the riders as a whole and, you yeah. know, everyone's having an input because sometimes if one coach thinks one thing's going to be the best, then another coach might think, oh, but actually I think this could work a little bit better. And then if you create that discussion about, oh, we can maybe do this a bit better, I think that's where 
where you sort of grow a bit. Whereas, you know, if you can get lots of lots of feedback from different people, I think that's that's a positive thing. And for them, I think that's what makes them so successful as a coaching group. Mm. What about uh, their support moving overseas? That's one of the trickiest things as a as a neo pro is you're going overseas. Yeah, we obviously been overseas before, but it's your first time living there. Yeah, full time. Yeah, what what was that like? Ah, uh, for me it was pretty easy. I mean, just um, roll on over. Hey, just rolled on yeah. over. <laughs> yeah, just cruised over. Now nah, it was pretty easy for me just because I moved in with um, one of my best mates, Alex Edmondson, and he's already got the apartment there. It's all furnished, set up. So in in that respect, it was super easy. I sort of just rolled over there went into a rub powers <laughs> old bedroom and uh and that one was of his it. four bedrooms yeah yeah so that was pretty easy and then obviously uh having trinity as as my managers they were also yeah with all the other stuff pretty helpful and you know setting up that side of things or at least making me think about what i really needed to organize and yeah getting that done yeah did uh and then the the year so you went over there good tea to you good Good, good Aussie summer in good Nick. Then obviously the world collapsed and yeah, things yeah. hit the fan. How'd you, how'd you go mentally? Um, not too bad actually. I got two races in before COVID really kicked off. So I did a race in France, and then I did Ruta de Sol. Yeah, and then I came back, and that's when everyone was like, "Oh, I think all this racing is going to get cancelled." And of course, I was like, "Nah, let's." You know, I yeah. wanted to race. I was like, yeah, let's let's keep racing. This is good. And I was like, no, nah, I don't think so. Like, you know, they're not going to cancel Milan San Remo. It's too big to cancel it just because of some little virus. And yeah, then, this thing that came out of China. Yeah, and then all of a sudden it's like, all right, maybe, maybe we aren't going to race for a little bit. And then, uh, yeah, my, my next lot of racing got cancelled straight away. So it was sort of all these discussions about oh, what's what's the best way to move forward and then originally I was like oh I'm just going to stay in Europe and you know racing all everything will be back to normal pretty soon I hope and then it was actually my coach kept up asking me he's like oh do you want to go back to Australia and every time I was like nah I, you know I yeah. want to stay over here I want to be here for when racing resumes and I think he asked me four days in a row and then I was like, oh, maybe I should actually ask him what he thinks. So I, I was like, do you think I should go back? And he's like, yeah, if you were my son, I'd tell you to go home. Right. And then that's when I was like, oh, maybe this is, I knew it was serious, but I was like, maybe this is going to be like, we're not racing for a long time. And I'm probably better being back in Australia with, you know, because I'd only been over in Europe for maybe less than two months. So even though I was sort of getting settled in, I wasn't really settled. And I was like, ah, oh, maybe it isn't a bad idea to, to go home. So then that night he's like, ah, oh, I'll see um, what we can organise. And then an hour later I had a flight the next morning back to Australia. So I think I left the day Girona went into a lockdown for seven weeks. So Nice. How long, did you, go, how long did you go back for? Or how long were uh, you back here for? So I got back in March and I didn't go back to Europe till July so quite a while in the end yeah but yeah I dodged I, saw, I remember seeing Jimmy Whelan saying it was seven weeks on the ergo there so yeah dodge that that's a long time yeah that's a very long time that's a long time what are they what are they thinking about this year obviously similar situation it's 
yeah. per, almost perfect here. Yeah. Um, yeah. Bar a couple of hiccups and it's a bit of a mess over there. Oh, yeah, for sure. Like when I, a big I sort mess. Of, yeah. I stopped looking at the figures and all that just because, yeah, you, you see in the in Spain or something, 30,000 cases a day and 500 deaths and you're like, ah, oh, yeah, okay, that's not getting better anytime soon. And, yeah, racing-wise... It sounds like some stuff's going ahead. Obviously, there's been a lot already that's either cancelled or yeah, or put back. Um, Are you going to try and stay? No, no. So I'm actually going. I'm going back to Europe a couple of days after nationals. Yeah, and then I'll be there for a week, and then I'll fly to UAE to do the UAE tour. Oh, so you're doing the you're doing yeah. the uh, someone was telling me about this last night yeah. the UAE chartered flight yeah. from Europe yeah. to the UAE which gets you past the covid yeah which is silly in a way because you think okay I'm coming from south australia where there hasn't been a positive covid case for weeks yeah. and that's unsafe and I have to quarantine for 2 weeks but a plane with a bunch of people from hotspots around europe is going to travel there and, and what and do, that's you, do you all leave from one place yeah, I think the idea is there'll be two chartered flights, one from Milan and one from Paris, and then yeah, yeah, t- do that, and then you uh, avoid quarantining. So you have to go. So you have to go on a easy jet flight from Barca to Milan. Yep. And then get on a UAE flight after you've yep. come from the other side of the world back to Europe. Yeah. So it's uh, it's hard. Ooh. It's hard when you say it. It's like hard to think that they think that that's the safest option but yeah yeah i mean i guess it's what you get paid to do yeah um and to be honest like racing wise like i really want to race i've been training well yeah i've had a good race well i've enjoyed racing here um back in adelaide and then i'll do nationals and yeah i've done all this training and i think my shape's starting to get pretty good so yeah i i want to race but yeah i think it's also uh yeah, you've also got to think like, ah, oh, if stuff's uh, not going ahead or getting cancelled and you're just going over there to maybe be in a lockdown or uh, mm. that sort of thing, then that's when it when it's a bit disappointing. But, yeah, I think we just have to wait and see. Hopefully, uh, at some, th- some point things start to improve or, yeah, you just m- l- like last year, it was still bad, but they managed to get racing, racing going yeah. and, uh, yeah, just hope we can manage it and... S- still get racing. Yeah, somehow there was a season. Yeah, yeah, there was and still a season. And it was good. Ah, yeah, yeah. You talked to everyone. Up with the Giro. Yeah, I mean, for for us, obviously, it was disappointing to not finish the Giro, but then even after that, it's like, oh, Primoz won the Vuelta. And, and yeah. <laughs> so it was still still awesome. It was awesome to watch. How old were you last year? 25. 25. Yeah. So you turned pro later yep. than the norm. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I think most most uh, well, pretty much especially they're signing kids these days. Yeah, aren't they? especially <laughs> like the Remco era. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The Remco and uh, yeah, Hershey, I, I saw the other days. She and Pog and all of them. Some teams so signed what, like an eighteen-year-old yeah. Spanish talent. Yeah, for f- yeah, was it like five, five years, years or something? Yeah. So uh, yeah, I'm definitely definitely old, but then it's kind of funny because. The team will always talk about me as though, uh, like, I'm this young rider with... This rookie. Yeah. Like, I signed the same time as uh, Tobias Foss, who won Lavinia the year he signed with the team. Yeah. And they sort of talk about us in the same context. And 
it's like, ah, he's 23 years old. Like, yeah, you know, I feel like a grandpa compared to him almost. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. When, when did it become real that you're going to go pro? Because for me, obviously I knew you and Edmo just didn't stop talking about Chris Harper back in Adelaide. Jeez, he's good. He's so good. He's so good. He's so good. But it took a long time to get there. Like, when did it click? Oh, yeah. All right. This is... Yeah, yeah. I've this is starting to work. Yeah, there, uh, there was definitely bits where I didn't think I would ever turn pro. One year in particular where I was pretty close to just hanging it up and going and doing something else just because I came off the back of having a bit of a bad race in Europe and I was like, ah, you know what, maybe maybe I'm just not good enough to do this. You know, there's only so many people in the world who can be professional bike riders and maybe I'm just not one of them. And mm. it was actually Andrew Christie Johnson who talked me out of it. He's like, no, nah, I think you should keep at it. I think... Um, what year was this? Oh, maybe 2017? Yeah. Or actually maybe even... Yeah, maybe even 2018. So you're like 23, 4. Yeah, I would have already been, I think, around that. And yeah, like I was just... I'd finished a Tour de Savoie, the race I won just before I turned pro. And I had a terrible race. Like I just was expecting to do quite well. And I'd, I'd gone away and trained in Andorra at altitude and yeah. got to the race and basically like I hadn't been doing things right. I was anemic. So I was never going to race well anyway. And um, just got myself crook just from overtraining really. And uh, had a terrible race, just felt terrible the whole time. And then after that, I was like, ah, you know what? Like, I don't know if I want to do this really. And mm. it took took me a while as well. I mean, uh, at the time, I was still in Europe for a bit, and I was just mucking about, like not riding at all. And uh, then even when I came back to Australia, I was really just having fun. I was riding a little bit, but more just you know hanging out with mates riding to cafes sort of thing not really doing any proper training put on a heap of weight and then um which is hard to believe <laughs> based off your condition at the moment yeah i i got to uh do you want to do you want to know what yeah, i topped give out me, at? give me a number i think i topped out at 77 kilos and what are you now oh like 66 yeah <laughs> <laughs> so i shifted a bit um, but yeah. yeah was it all mental was it just like i just it just it's just not going to click it's just not going to click like was it the <coughs> was it the piece that you lost was that i'm not going to go pro yeah i think it was just like i mean like you said i'm obviously not young like a 18 year old talent sort of thing so i was like ah oh, you know what world tour team's going to want to sign someone in their mid 20s sort of thing yeah unless i can really do something good and be like ah oh, you know really show myself and I was just like, ah, oh, maybe I'm not capable of doing it. And then, yeah, once you sort of, I guess as well, like once I got back to Australia and I was just hanging out with my, my mates, sort of thinking about what I wanted to do and, you know, I was just having fun as well. Like I'd, I'd been quite, like I'm quite re a regimented person. I'd been always so focused on I've got to do everything right to try become uh. a professional. And now it was like, oh, I'd sort of took that took that away and just enjoyed myself for a month and then I was like oh, um all of a sudden I think it was just one day I was like you know what I, I actually do want to keep riding my bike like I want to yeah 
I want to get back into it and I want to do it properly. And then Andrew actually started coaching me because uh, he was he just took over um, training me. And then, yeah, obviously being so big, I think I was, this was in November and nationals is started January. And he's like, oh, okay, try to drop a bit of weight, but obviously you're not going to be, you know, your lightest weight before uh, before nationals, but it doesn't matter. Let's just focus on being as strong as you can possibly be. And then, um, yeah, I went to, went to Tour of Tassie, race Tour of Tassie, and uh, I was still pretty big there. Um, and then, uh, yeah, race nationals, and that was the year I got third. Yeah. Who, uh, who won? Uh, Edmo. Edmo won that year and uh, got rolled on the line by Jay McCarthy. Yeah. Do you think was and was that kind of so? Obviously, you made the decision you want to be a bike rider, but then there's there's also. Oh the wait, second no, sorry, that wasn't that year. I'm, I'm thinking. I think that was the year years. after. Yeah, yeah, the year after. But yeah. like, there's a there's a point where you say, "All right, I want to be a bike rider." That's yeah. part one. Yeah. Part two is you got to actually get good at it again. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, the main thing was obviously in the past I'd been a decent climber and I could also time trial not too bad. And I mean, I can't sprint to save myself. Like I get dropped going around a corner most of the time. So, <laughs> so that was off the cards. Even at 76 kilos, I still couldn't sprint. So I was like, ah. If I want to go and uh, become a professional bike rider, I've got to get good at climbing, which means, you know, I can't be carrying all this extra weight up my yeah. climbs. So part of it was like, okay, let's get fit again. Let's get strong. But at the same time, gradually chip away at the weight without it being, yeah, m- without it having a massive impact on me. Um, well, without it having an impact on my riding and whether I could still produce the power and... Uh, yeah, I pretty much took from November until uh, I went and did the did the races that I did well at in uh, would have been May maybe, I think. Mm. Yeah, from there it sort of that's how long it took me to really get focused and get back into into really good shape. Was there a point where I was like, "Yep, this is going well. I'm um, I'm going to be a pro." Oh, uh, not really. Nah, I mean. I went to tour of Japan and um, Andrew and I discussed it and we were like, oh, Japan's nothing. Like, just go there and have fun and it'll uh, sharpen you up for these races in Europe and they're the ones we really wanted to focus on. So we've always had a really good race over there called Tour de Savoie Mont Blanc, which like Egan Bernal's won. Yeah. A bunch of really good climbers. And um, and it's well noted by the professional team. Yeah, so I think as guys well. Guys go well here uh, yeah, generally end up being quite good. Yeah. Or going into a World Tour peloton and being quite good. And, um, yeah, I think that that was the race I sort of wanted to focus on the most. But, yeah, I went to Japan and I think just having a relaxed attitude towards it as well. I was just enjoying the racing. And then the night before Fuji, I, I messaged Andrew. I was like, I want to win tomorrow. Like, <laughs> what, what do I have to do? And he's like, oh, I think you'd have to do this number. Um, what do you have to do? I think it was like 385 watts for Mount Fuji or something. He's like, I think around there... You How many minutes is Fuji? I think it's about 40, something like that. Yeah. He was like, oh, I think you got to do around there. Um, it's a pretty big he, block of yeah, numbers. And he's, yeah, he's like, oh, I think if you do that, you should be okay. But obviously, it depends on how everyone else at the race is going. And then, yeah, I'm not very good at waiting, so... I, 
I went pretty early on the climb. Yeah. And uh, Dylan Sunderland was already up the road and rode across to him, got a good turn, and then, yeah, I just went solo up the, up the climb. And then, yeah, from there, I think as well, when you get a little bit of a result, you're like, ah, oh, you have a bit of a confidence in what you've been doing. You're like, ah, oh, yeah. this has been working and I feel good. And then the next day we do... Uh, the Kieran School, which if anyone's done Tour of Japan knows, it's pretty brutal. You just either go up or down all day. And in that, I felt really good as well. So I, when I went to Europe, I was like, ah, oh, I know I'm in good shape and and all that. But obviously racing in Europe is, uh, yeah, there's maybe in, in, uh, in Asia or in Australia, there might be 10 good guys that are around your level whereas in Europe it sometimes feels like you're at a race with 50 guys who are almost as good as you there's just a bit more depth there and um, yeah I did a I did a race in Romania which was an interesting experience and I didn't do too badly not amazing but I was still still going okay um, I think I ended up fifth overall but I would have been on the podium if I had a time trial bike and um then I was going to do Tour of Hungary and then Andrew called me and he's like, nah, we're going 100% for this four days in France. You're just going to uh, train, do everything right up until then and then we're just going to go 100% for that. And then from the first stage, I was like, oh, okay, I feel good. I, yeah. I had a, an all right ride on the first stage and I was like, oh, you know what? I actually think I think I can win here if, I, uh, if I'm smart. And? I did win, yeah, luckily. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, I think that race suited me as well because it's just long climbs, everyone's tired, and it almost takes away being a bit bit of a smart bike rider in a way. You just yeah. can do well if you're if you're riding well. So, uh, yeah, made it simple for me. And then from winning that, it was that's the race where, yeah, obviously some World Tour teams have a look at it and, and then, yeah, that was the race where I was like, oh, okay, now it's probably realistic to, to get a pro mm. contract. Yeah, 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 yeah. The PC, like, so that, from that point where you were like, oh, I don't know, this is for me to there, like you always mentioned that, like everything was fun, everything was enjoyable, you were having a good time, you were having a good time, you were having a good time. Does, had it, does that, or are you conscious of that now it's back to a super professional environment everything's dialed at Jumbo. Like, how yeah. do you maintain that that enjoyment that it doesn't go back to become a chore? I actually think I enjoy it more now, to be honest, because it takes away, like what you said, it takes away that, oh, how much do I need to eat sort of thing. Like, everything's so everything's simple Everything's so dialed. You. Yeah, everything's so simple, you don't have to think. You just have to, you know, these people are you know, some of the best in the world at what they do. And it's like, oh, if I listen to that, then... I think I can get the best out of myself. So I enjoy it more and I, I enjoy the process of yeah, trying to improve as well, which I think, yeah, I know a lot of guys really need races on the calendar to go out and train, whereas, yeah, even through the whole corona period when we didn't know when we were going to start racing, I was like, ah, oh, we'll just train and I'll use this to, to try and become better. Like, yeah. Yeah. Who's the brains behind the team? Well, the uh, the boss of the team's Richard Plug Plugger. Oh no, not Plugger. I think that's his nickname, Richie. Yeah, but he's <laughs> Richie. Yeah, we'll go, we'll go with Richie. Um, but yeah, I he's the. I assume as a Dutchman, he probably doesn't abbreviate <laughs> <laughs> no, nicknames. 
for that. So he's the uh, yeah, he's in charge of the team and sort of he. I think he took over the team he was as it became uh, Blanco. Yeah. Yeah. So he took it over once, which was early, which is after the Rabobank. Yeah, which was finished. after yeah, was Rabobank a big finished. point in the team. Yeah, and also it was yeah for the team. I mean, they even talk about it now. It was really tough for the team then. They. I think they had a year there where they maybe got one win for the season or something like that. Yeah. So he sort of has, yeah, he's really sort of built the team from, uh, I mean, yeah, from from ground up really. Why why is his leadership so good? I just think, I mean, I think, I don't think it's just him. I think he gets people in the team who. Yeah, it, it just gets a really good group of people. I think it goes back to what I said about the coaches. There's so many good people within the team um, thinking about how to do things in the best possible way that I think it just means the team keeps building and building every year. Yeah. Like they're always looking for ways to improve, whether that's equipment or nutrition or anything like that. And I think that's what makes the team so successful is just, yeah, continuing to want to improve um, and, yeah, continuing to try to win the biggest races in the world. Yeah. Um, Wood Van Aert. Let's talk about that. Yeah. What's going on there? Lots. He's just winning everything, isn't he? Have you, ha- have you spent much time with him? <laughs> no, not really. But just before um, just before Corona all kicked off, he was in Girona and I was meant to go race Strata, which he was going to and he was really really motivated to go go and win it and I rode with him a couple of days after um a couple of days after it got cancelled and yeah he, he uh, like? I he's a really nice guy. I mean I didn't get to spend a lot of time with him, just yeah. a quick bike ride. But the one thing that stood out for me was just how disappointed he was that he couldn't race Strata. I was like He loves it. Like it just you could just tell that he really want I mean I'd really want to race as well if I could race like he can. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, he just really wanted to race it and he, he couldn't, so he was just so disappointed. Yeah, you say that, though, but then a lot of the time when you get to that level, there is so much pressure. Like, there's so much expectation on him. It's, yeah. He's Wood Van Aert. He's no longer, like, that cyclocross guy. Yeah. I mean, yeah, you look at him now, and especially how he's raced this year, and I don't think you would speak to anybody in, uh, in the World Tour Peloton, and, yeah, everyone knows how talented he is. And they're just like... Yeah, the guy's a freak. Like, I even rode with Richie today, and he's like, oh, he's incredible. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, everyone knows how good he is, but obviously going to a race, you, when you're that good, everyone's like, oh, that's the wheel to be on. you still got to turn it on. Yeah. 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 What's the team like in terms of um, bringing everyone together in terms of a cultural performance, working for other riders? How, how did you find fitting into that? Because you've come from Andrew, who's obviously, I think, maybe the best athlete manager in terms yep. of from a DS team perspective. Yeah. Like he gets people together. It yeah. works. Yep. Everyone believes in it. Everyone trusts him. Yeah. How did how did how did you find that from a from a step up perspective and the <laughs> fact that it's a it's Euro team, people from yeah. all around the world? I think it's I think it's almost the same in a way that I mean one, it makes it really easy to um, believe in the idea of you're going to races to to win them, especially when you see the the leaders on the team and you look at their Palmares and it's like okay, yeah, like going into the Giro, and they're like, oh, we're going there to win the pink jersey with uh, Stevie. It's like, yeah, okay, like I want to be 
in the best possible shape I can be because you know, Stevie can win the pink jersey, but he needs a team around him that's able to help him as much as possible. Yeah. So you sort of just believe in the fact that you're there and you're capable of achieving the team's goals for the race. And you, yeah, you just want to, I mean, you want to be a part of it really, don't you? You don't want to be the, uh, yeah. the guy in the team that can't contribute anything to this amazing result. So you're like, yep, I got to be in the best possible shape and I want to help out. <laughs> yeah. It must be cool. Like the team's always got purpose. Yeah. There's never like, sometimes there's squads and you see them at races and you're like, what are they doing there? And it's <laughs> like, they're really just hoping for an opportunistic yeah. breakaway. Like yeah. that is the only option of victory here. Yeah. Whereas lot Jumbo is always, you're always like, yeah, that guy. Yeah, I haven't been to a race this year, well, last year, sorry, that it wasn't like, ah, oh, we're there with a clear objective. Like every race I went to, it was, yeah. we're here to do this. And, um, and yeah, most of the time, everyone was there, everyone understood that, yeah, if we we do things right, we can we can get results here. And I think that's what makes it so easy for everyone to do do what they need to do because you really actually just believe like, yeah, we can we can get a result here. Yeah. But then on the flip side, the good thing about that team that you see that you're like, I'm not really sure what they're doing is the opportunity part. Yeah. Yeah. I mean I guess I guess as well if you're in a team that's uh maybe not got a big leader or something, that means you could have a I mean, for example, like you saw I know they had a had a big leader but like you know, Ben O'Connor was very uh taking opportunities at the yeah. end at the end of the Giro there and getting stage wins and all that. Um, so I guess that's that's one uh, one example of sort of opposite ends of the spectrum. But Do yeah. they, is there, they articulate that to you as to where where your opportunity lies, where it's going to become, how yeah. does it become the Chris Harper show? Uh, I think like, I mean, the way they plan it out is they normally, I think they normally throughout the year give... Uh, give everyone opportunity at something to sort of, um, yeah, may, maybe be a, even if you're not a protected rider, to sort of be in a role where you don't have to do the team job sort of thing. Yeah. And I think that's that's important as well and it helps especially someone like me and also the younger guys on the team because I don't think you can just go from uh, working for, for all these big guys in our team like Stevie and Primoz to... Or you know the next day, oh now I'm the person. Like I think it, the yeah. uh, they sort of give you a bit of an introduction and allow you to grow into what it would be like in that role if you became good enough. Mm-hmm. But yeah, obviously it's 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 never uh, you never see your name on the uh, team plan on the uh, a big big grand tour. And it's like ah oh, you've got a free role sort of thing. But yeah, the smaller races in the build up to something like that, it might be uh, oh, okay. We think. Uh, some of this race could suit you and you could be protected for some of it. Yeah. Yeah, it's that fine balance, isn't it, between... Yeah. Not everyone's Remco. No. Nah. Like, nah. the majority are. Yeah. There is there's yeah, a progression. Yeah, there's like a st- stepping stone. I think you've seen it. Uh, I mean, it, the best example in our team of that is probably Sep at the moment. Like yeah. Sep's sort of taken those steps within the team and now, yeah, he's incredible. And I think... You'll probably see it even more this year if he goes to some week-long stage races and maybe he's more not in that role of uh, just working and uh, there to sort of get a result himself. Then I think that continues to to sort of step in the direction of uh, maybe set becoming a Grand Tour 
contender one day. Yeah. Last question. Um, you talked about the plan for the Giro. How planned is it? What do you mean? Like, so in terms of leadership stages, strategy around it? Oh, pretty planned. But, I mean, a gen- general idea, you're like, uh, we're going to the Giro, we're trying to win pink with Stevie. Yeah. And then... Uh, Big goal at the top yeah. of the page. <laughs> yeah. It's, uh, pink jersey. Yeah, it's pretty uh, pretty obvious. You, uh, they, I mean, even when you see when Stevie's uh, on the on the uh, list to do the Giro, you're like, oh, okay, I know what we're going to the Giro to do. But, yeah. Uh, yeah, it's uh, yeah they are. We're super thorough with how we do everything, and uh, yeah, it just becomes doing everything correctly so everybody's in the best possible position to help Stevie as much as possible, if that makes sense. So yeah. obviously within the team, you you got guys who who will push the wind in the on on a flatter stage and keep everyone out of trouble and stages where say if we're meant to support stevie in the mountains you know maybe we take it easier today because tomorrow's a really hard day sort of thing it's about thinking about those little sort of things where get the most out of out of that and then uh were you his right hand man no who was his right hand man um i mean we were sort of we had a bit of a bit of a younger younger group at the giro um probably the the I mean, uh, as far as climbers, we had um, Antoine Tollhook, who he's won a stage of Tour de Suisse, so he's yeah. a very good climber. Yeah. So n- generally, they probably would have gone into the race thinking he'll be the last guy. And then uh, Kun Bowman, who's done quite a lot of Giro's with Primoz. Mm-hmm. So they were sort of the more experienced guys in the, in the mountains for us. Um, and then, yeah, it was more just about if... Uh, if if we had the legs to just stay with Stevie as long as possible and just support him as long as possible. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, on the, uh, on the flat stages, it's like Tony Martin, Jos Van Emden, it's the big yeah, boys. They, they, <laughs> they know what to do. Is Tony <laughs> Martin, the str- way. is Tony, Ma- have you, did you experience like the Tony Martin train? Oh, yeah. Is oh, it out yeah. of control? Yeah. Like, like what? I like couldn't, couldn't believe even it. Just one stage. Oh, I can't remember what, what stage number it was, but it was, uh, we went up this up this small little kick and then it was like a fast run down and then a, a little kick to finish and Tony was getting Stevie into position and I was sitting on the back of Stevie and Tony just towed us on the left hand side of the peloton, just held us there. All and bored. he's just in the in the seat, just cruising, and I was out of the seat sprinting as hard as I could just to hold his wheel going up this small little rise and I yeah. was like, Ah, this is incredible. Like it was just a yeah, this is an unreal experience. I was like, wow, this guy is so strong. <laughs> <laughs> um, the team bosses said we need to go. Yeah. So we yeah. better go. You it's better race boy. this afternoon. It's 41 degrees outside and you've got the TDU crit this afternoon. Yeah, yeah. Um, on the big jobs. On the big jobs. Thanks, Chris Harper. Thanks for having me.